The ocean is the manifestation of the thing that drives us mad as human beings. It is completely beyond our control. It is overwhelming. It is unpredictable. And it is the most powerful force on the planet. And in so many ways, it mirrors our potential. And, and our deepest fear. Our deepest fear and our greatest sense of possibility. The ocean is the full manifestation of that spectrum. And to be completely frank, that's why I bring people to it. That's one of the reasons. There are many reasons, but that's one. It is the perfect environment to help somebody learn how to trust themselves beyond having control. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me, and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Our Nature, where we explore the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater harmony and alignment with the natural world. My name is Alyssa Benjamin, and if you're new to Our Nature, welcome. And if you're an Our Nature listener, welcome back. I'm grateful to have you join us on this very special Earth Day 2020. The theme for this year's Earth Day is climate action. And we have this unique opportunity to experience firsthand how the absence of man's interference is reviving the natural world. At Ocean Park, which is an amusement park in Hong Kong, two pandas finally made it. A feat that zookeepers were trying to encourage for the past 10 years. It's interesting that the park had been closed for over two months because I think it suggests that The lack of human presence could be just what these pandas needed to do what was most natural for them. I'm recording this intro in LA and people who've lived here for years are telling me how clear the skies are without the massive smog from millions of cars clouding the atmosphere. In last week's episode about biomimicry, which I'll link to in the show notes, if you haven't had a chance to listen yet, I strongly encourage you to listen. It's incredible. Azita Ardakani mentions that the natural world shifts in the face of human presence. And one must sit quietly for at least 10 minutes to observe nature in its purest state. It makes me wonder, could this collective moment of pause, this global human hibernation, be enough to inspire us to forever shift our behavior from that of consumption of the Earth's resources to one of care for the natural world. I personally feel that taking care of our planet is an act of self-love. If we are nature, then caring for nature is really caring for ourselves. In a moment when we need to offer each other more support than ever, I'm hoping compassion for our fellow humans will extend to the natural world— which we can see flourishing all around us. This pandemic has caused my partner and I to pause and to re-envision what our future might look like. As many of you know, I live in Manhattan, and I've lived there for almost nine and a half years. It just so happens that my lease is coming up at the end of May, and we've been questioning whether 
it makes sense for us to remain in the city or to move. My boyfriend had relocated to New York from Maine only six months ago, but he was recently laid off from his job, perhaps indefinitely, and I have the flexibility to work remotely. In addition, I'm on a contract that ends in August, so I may also soon find myself out of work like so many people. We've been discussing how might we remain as flexible as possible in order to flow with this uncertainty. For us, this means moving out of New York, putting our stuff in storage, and heading up to Maine for two months, rather than locking ourselves into a year lease. This way, my partner has an opportunity to work on his cabin that he's been building for the past year while I work remotely. If you're interested in hearing more about David's journey from jazz musician to homesteader, you can check out episode 19 of the podcast. I want to acknowledge my privilege in having an option to work remotely as well as the reality that it just is good timing that my lease is up at the end of May. But there's a lot of fear surfacing for me in thinking about spending June and July in such a rural environment. I've been curious as to why I'm so afraid of the experience. It's part fear of isolation, fear of the quiet, and fear of actually liking it and where that might lead. I keep thinking, if I really believe that we are nature, and that connecting with the natural world is one of the most fulfilling, supportive experiences available to us, why am I hesitant to get closer? If I'm being honest with myself, the resistance to turn towards nature in a more immersive way is directly coming from my ego, the part of myself whose entire survival is dependent upon behaviors that fuel separation. Cultural messages about success, the judgment of myself, competition, self-involvement, and scarcity mindset. To invite nature in is to invite a challenge to my existing identity. And as I've said before on the podcast, that can be a very disorienting experience. I'm aware that living somewhere rural probably isn't a radical act for some people, but it is for me. I'm a person who's built my entire identity and career on the heels of ambition and on capitalist-based achievement. There's no way for me to know how the future will unfold come August. But for now, in deciding to turn towards the natural world, and in so doing turning towards what may well be the wholeness inside of me, I might have to give up the things that I've always thought would make me happy in order to end up happier. With this in mind, I wanted to introduce this week's Dispatch, which is a segment of the show that features the voice of one of my listeners as they share one way that they are living in greater harmony and alignment with the natural world. This week's Dispatch comes from Alex Hollander. Hi, I'm Alex Hollander, and I am a writer and podcaster and comms consultant living in Los Angeles, California. And lately, to feel more in alignment with nature, I've been opening up my windows first thing in the morning, having my coffee, and listening to all the birds and uh, little neighborhood noises, the wind chimes, the leaves rustling. Um, Sometimes I'll do a little eyes open meditation and just watch the light kind of 
play around on the leaves. And it's such a nice way to start the day. It's something that I think any of us can do just getting really present with um, nature right in our homes. Thank you, Alex, for that wonderful contribution. If you would like to be featured on the Our Nature Podcast, please send a voice message to ournaturepodcast at gmail.com. That includes your name, location, what you do, and one way that you're living in greater harmony and alignment with the natural world. I don't know a better way to celebrate Earth Day's 50th anniversary than by sharing an episode that focuses on the life-giving element of water. Joby Manson is a water healer, a creative director, photographer, entrepreneur, and designer. She believes that nature is the key to a creative life and helps guide people into their creative expression through water immersion. Joby calls these experiences safaris or rebirth water experiences. Think of them as adventures into one's creativity by inviting in water's inherent wisdom. For Joby, water is the most powerful and essential element within all forms of life, one that helps us feel and move our emotions with ease. She's led Safari experiences for people such as the founder of Tom's Shoes to the founder of Conscious City Guide, among others. I first met her when she slid into my DMs on my podcast Instagram, which is at Our Nature Podcast in case anyone's interested in following along, and we ended up speaking on the phone and felt instantly connected. I'm personally appreciative of Joby for the way that she welcomed me to LA with open arms and an open heart. I moved here in early February and didn't know that many people, and she immediately invited me into her home, introduced me to her wonderful circle of friends, and became someone I could turn to when I needed support. I'm immensely grateful to know her, and I still can't believe it was my podcast that brought us together. In this episode, we discuss what makes water so unique and healing, how water can be the key to unlocking our creativity, what happens during a Sifari experience, Joby's path from surfer to Sifari guide, the serious accident that changed everything for Joby. Wait until you hear more about this profound experience. How we can better understand our emotions and feelings in order to be with them differently, and how we can more easily flow with the waves of our lives. Self reflective, vulnerable, and kind, Joby is gifted with words in a way that I could only hope to be someday. What an absolute honor to be able to share this podcast with all of you especially now when we can turn to elements of nature like water for support and guidance. We originally were going to record a part two of this episode after Joby had taken me on a safari experience, but because the beaches are closed due to COVID-19 and we are all self-quarantining, I wanted to make our teachings as accessible to everyone as possible. So what we're going to do is record a part two with Joby guiding all of us through a bath ritual that anyone with a bathtub can do at home. Stay tuned for that episode following this one. And until then, enjoy this episode, part one of the water series, which was recorded in early March, just before we began social distancing. 
Wishing you all a very happy Earth Day today and sending gratitude, health, and love to everyone, especially those on the front lines of this pandemic. With that, please welcome Joby Manson to the podcast. Hello, Jovi. <laughs> Hello, Alyssa. Welcome to Our Nature, the podcast. I know you're familiar. Very familiar, and thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you. You're my first LA recording, podcast recording, which is very exciting. I'm temporarily out in LA for, well, it will be three months at the end of this this adventure I'll call it (laughs) it's been an adventure but I'm so grateful to be talking to you in person and um, we're actually speaking while there's a lot of um, uncertainty and unrest in the world so it's really nice to connect even with one other person it just feels really balancing Mm. It's funny. I love that. I love that that's where we're beginning with balance. And it's funny. um, This is such an intimate experience, these conversations. And it's such a, it's a really um, vulnerable way to connect with somebody, even with somebody who, like, I'm sitting here looking at you right now, and you're my friend, and I'm looking deeply into your eyes. (laughs) And it's raining, and the fireplace is going. This is going to be great. I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, just so people who are listening can picture we have, this is the most L.A. recording I've ever had. When people in New York, I record with people in New York, they sit down, we maybe have a glass of water, and then we just get right to it, but um, we've had, we have uh, a fire going, we're in a meditation hut, we have, we've been having a tea ceremony, this beautiful tea ceremony, Um, we have Ikebana that you made. It's incredible. I feel so grounded. It's very apt for what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, it's perfect. I love that we're talking because we met through our nature. You sent me a DM. You slid into my DMs. Slid right in there. And yeah, we ended up talking on the phone. I I felt like I... When I send these episodes out, sometimes you send them out into almost this black hole and and you wonder, you know, what people, when they're listening, what's resonating with them, what they think. It's such a, in some ways, like a lonely pursuit. And so it means so much when I can actually connect with someone who's listened to the podcast and get to know who they are. And it's something I've been wanting to do more and more. But we met that way, and then we ended up talking on the phone, and I think, I mean, it sounds weird, but the rest was history, I guess. (laughs) And then it just so happened that when we were talking, um, you explained what you did, which we'll get into, and then 
you know, we were talking about recording an episode and I, I said to you, I think there's a chance I might be coming out to LA in the next, I'll know in the next, you know, few weeks or so, um, because of an opportunity I had with, with work and it worked out and now I'm here and you've, you have been such, I mean, thank God for you. I, I would say I came to LA. I didn't really know that many people and it's been, it's, I mean, we haven't known each other that long, but it already feels like we've known each other for a very long time. Yeah. No, I, I would say the same. It's, uh, it's funny. We're sitting exactly where we had our first conversation when, when I met you over the phone. I was sitting right next to this fireplace, and I had heard about your podcast. Um, I had heard about your podcast through Ara Cats, and I've been following the work of Seed for some time, and she had shared you know, a few episodes that she was featured on in 2019 and I clicked on it and, you know, as we do, fell into a technological black hole, which I am not mad about. And I started digging into um, your curiosities and we have very similar and shared curiosities and I found what you are... um, what you are putting out into the world, what you're crafting with this offering, our nature, is um, very much a shared mission. And so I, I always make the joke, like I, I tend to be very direct with the people that I'm interested in connecting with, and you are no different. And I haven't been disappointed yet, and I'm always so glad that I take the leap and reach out because at the end of the day, what do you have to lose? You know, it's just, um, we live in such a radical age of technology where we can do incredibly powerful things at the click of a button. Um, and I think that that is something to be really honored and cherished and also discerning with, but, um, in this case, very much grateful for. Yeah. It's a, it's a, to me, a true example of what I'm really hoping to cultivate with our nature is more connection to each other, obviously to ourselves, and in doing so to nature. I mean, it's all kind of one. Absolutely. They're, they're, those three are not separate from each other. No, they are not. And we see that now more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting in a quarantined meditation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> on a rainy yes. Saturday in Los Angeles. Perfect time for a podcast. Though. Perfect time for a podcast. So I want to get into what you do. This is not a podcast about my podcast, even though we are recording an episode. When we first talked, you know, and you explained what you do, I had never come across someone who does what you do. And yet it seems so obvious in, in a certain way. Um, in your own words, let's start with the basics. What is Sifari? Mm. I know that's a, that's a fast and <laughs> That's a question, question I've yeah. been trying to answer for years. Um, what is Sifari? Sifari is a philosophy, and it's a way of living in, in flow with a sense of vitality to everything that's life. Um, and that sounds a little abstract and a little bit metaphorical, but it's 
Sifari at its core is, um, it's a water healing practice and it's Sifari, the word itself, I made up the word and it comes from my two favorite things, the ocean and the idea of adventure. And, um, the idea is going on an adventure inside of yourself, inside of your inner nature, if you will, in order to have a really balanced expression of the outer world. And um, I help people really um, tap into their energy, shift their state of being and um, move like water. My, my intention is to help everyone essentially become their purest nature, which at its source, at its core, at its chemical composition is water. Yeah. You mentioned when we were first chatting about the idea that it's a return to our purest state because when we are forming in our mother's bodies, we are suspended in water. Is is that a connection that you make? Yeah, I mean, all life on the planet begins with water. And humans are no different. We are aquatic beings in every sense of the word. When we're babies, our bodies are 90% water. As a full-grown adult, we're somewhat like 70% water, which is, to me, is really interesting and important for us to understand. Um, the physics, the science of water is and can be very, very complex, but it is our universal uh, connection point. And there's... Um, I think that there's so much to be said in terms of the nature of water that we can adopt both socially and culturally as a means to move with greater ease and um, flow throughout the world. And um, yeah, I, it's this morning I was taking a shower and uh, I was asking I was asking the water what. What what should I share today with all of you and with you about its you know it's it's essentially it's infinite right There's so many directions we could go with this conversation and um, you know I think the most unique thing about water that doesn't really get talked about that much. Um, or it does, but in very certain circles. But water holds memory, and water holds an incredible amount of wisdom, right? It's been around since the beginning of time. It is the beginning of time in many ways. And I think that in just understanding how to hydrate our bodies, how much our sense of well-being and our sense of physical vitality can be calibrated, I think, is, is incredible. Um, so... That was a that was a tangent, but back to your initial question, um, Sifari is about helping somebody explore what holistic balance in their life looks looks like from an emotional perspective, from a physical perspective, and from a spiritual perspective. And I have crafted a lot of different um, experiences that help somebody connect to those things. I think that's that's a beautiful 
way to describe what you do, which I know from conversations with you, but I haven't experienced myself. So I'm excited to actually experience it. And because I think it's one thing to talk about it, but a lot of, I think what you're talking about and what I'm talking about when we discuss different aspects, um, of connecting with nature is a felt experience. It's not something that lives in the mind. Mm. And to me, what resonates with what you're doing is essentially you're saying that in connecting with water, which is one of the main elements, I mean, water is responsible for life on earth. We couldn't, you know, that's why other planets can't sustain life because they don't have water. <laughs> so really it is uh, key to our survival and we are water, so in connecting with it, we then can connect deeper within, with ourselves. Um, if you were to describe what happens on a safari, how would you describe what happens? Hmm. So, for the last... For the last four and a half years, I've been leading safaris in a very specific way. I lead people out into the ocean on a paddleboard and guide them through an exploration of themselves. And I use tools like visualization. I use tools like creative writing, poetry, um, conversation, many different ways to help somebody relax and begin to share, begin to express themselves so that they can then see themselves. And what happens in the water, in nature, in that kind of nature, is um, it's so, to me, it's nothing short of a miracle. And it's different for every single person. No day is the same. No weather conditions are the same. Uh, I always joke that having Mother Nature as a business partner is... <laughs> That's a always, it, yeah, it is. Right there. It is. <laughs> she is um, nothing short of the most creative force there is, right? So it's uh, I live in the unknown in that way. Um, but being out there, and uh, I've started doing this recently. I, I do this in my own practice, but I, I haven't been doing this with clients the entire time I've been facilitating. But I've started blindfolding people, and something really unique has happened and transpired as a result of that just subtle tweak to the process itself. And it's amazing what happens when you remove your vision or when I remove my vision. Being out there in the ocean, if, whether I'm with somebody or whether I'm by myself, you your other sensory systems become very connected and activated. And it's like the minute I remove my vision, my ears start to see for me. They start to become my eyes. And I think that there's a very funny, um, a very funny natural way that our entire body is capable of connecting with the nature around us. And even with the subtlest, well, first of all, slowing down enough to even realize that that's possible, but going beyond that and exploring 
how our senses are stimulated, how they're activated. And that's something I love so much about water. Um, water's the only environment on the planet that relaxes and stimulates our senses at the same time. So if you think about it, um, you know, the minute you, you kind of sink into a bath, or if you've ever been to a hot spring, or the moment you get in the shower, or the rain, or walking by a beach, there's, there's a very common denominator that water soothes us. Um, and there's been a lot of science to back up what is going on in our, um, within our nervous system when that happens. But, you know, overall, it allows our entire body to go into the deepest state of relaxation. And so like the parasympathetic? Exactly. So it puts, it takes, you know, the way that our brain, I'm obviously not a neuroscience, but I have to, to some extent, be able to understand these concepts. And the brain is always fielding incoming threat. It's always essentially assessing the terrain and looking at, what stimulus is occurring at what time, what's happening, and what our systems need to do to protect us. When you're out there in the ocean, your nervous system is able to relax because the terrain isn't an impending threat. So it allows your mind and your body to slow down, and it allows them to relax into... I'm not in threat at this moment. And then what's possible when our body and our mind are in a state of deep relaxation, you know, deep meditation, and also being held simultaneously to not have the weight even of your physical body. You know, when you're in water, you're suspended in a way. Um, The weight of gravity, as Jacques Cousteau talks about it, it's removed. Um, And, you know, there's what is possible when we don't feel the weight of the human experience. And, and I mean that both in a literal sense of like the weight, the heaviness, the density of our bodies, and then also the weight of our, our challenges, our, our feelings, our thoughts, what we're going to do, our decisions, all of it. It's so overwhelming all the time. Um, and for me, the ocean helps my clients and myself just continue to return to that state of ease and deep breath and yeah, it, letting go. It reminds it's almost like there's it's like the reality of your movement in the world shifts when you're in the water. Like you're not stepping on the ground and you know, moving about like you normally do. Yeah. And especially when you're on your back floating, it's almost like, you know, if you picture it, it's like a surrendered state in a certain way. And so what that, I can only imagine what that can do for your nervous system, for your mind. I mean, are you explaining why, for example, taking baths is so relaxing? Is it the same sort of principle? Yeah, I mean, to me, anytime the human body is exposed to water, we are able to relax in ways that no other environment can shape for us. And and I say this all the time, but our environment shapes our experience, right? So if we're in a really beautiful, calming place, say we're out on a hike 
at the top of a mountain in nature. We feel free. We feel light. We feel at ease. That allows our thoughts to be light and in ease and more open or reflexive. And to me, water is a really, really beautiful conductor of softness. You know, it's, um, it's the environment that, that is so embracing of our bodies. And it was the first environment that we've, that we knew. Um, so when we are in it, we return to that sense of embrace. We return to that sense, that sense of ease, that sense of balance. And to me, yeah, absolutely. That can be achieved in a bath. That can be achieved in the shower. That can be achieved, um, you know, in, in any sense of proximity to water, you know, we're sitting here having tea right now and I, I drink water, water at different temperatures also affects our body in different ways. Right. Um, and hot water to me, uh, you know, when you think about it, you drink it and immediately you feel it come down your throat and into your chest. For me, hot water relaxes, my entire circulatory system. So I feel it go into my heart cavity and open up that part of my anatomy. Now, there's all sorts, like I said, that I work in the dimension of energy and in the realm of physics without being a physicist by any means. And so these concepts, I'm still learning how to articulate them, but they, as you said, they're very much... um, they're very sensory and they're very sentient. And what I mean when I say sentient is um, they're very felt. I, it, what I've learned about my senses is that uh, touch is actually the most powerful sensory system that I have. Um, and if you think about it, of course, it makes perfect sense. The skin is the largest organ in the human body. And so naturally, it's going to have the most expansive reach as a sensory system. Um, and, you know, we've evolved for millions of years as creatures on the planet, but all of our senses develop a little differently. We live in a culture these days that's very, very image heavy. So we rely so heavily on our vision, but really what's possible in the exploration of our other senses. And can we think about environments um, from a design perspective, from an architectural perspective, from a balance perspective that allow experiences to awaken within us? How do we play with space as a means to activate the senses? And that's something I think about a lot, um, whether I'm in in a physical space inside or out in wild nature, you know, what's possible in terms of stimulating creativity and how can I think about designing any experience to help somebody awaken their imagination, awaken their sense of possibility. And for me, going back to water, um, water is the creative matrix of life. And so it is by nature the most creative environment to be in. So when I first started doing this work, I used to call it creativity development because A, that didn't scare people, and B, (laughs) taking people out into the middle of the ocean sometimes can be a hard sell. I forget that not everybody loves the water like I do or has such an intimate relationship with it. But um, Just before you go in, what do you do for those people who... You know, I'd imagine some people are really afraid of the water itself if if 
it's they maybe grew some people are it's just unfamiliar they grew up in a city and yeah they're not used to being out in the water and then on top of that the ocean is almost beyond our comprehension how vast and um complex it is i mean we still don't even know what's at the bottom depths of the ocean you know yeah. from a scientific perspective so how do you how do you talk to people who are intimidated by that well i think to me those are those are the people that i want to meet the most um those are the people that really help me understand something that I love so innately from a different perspective and help me see it with new eyes. Um, I can't even imagine coming upon the ocean for the first time. I mean, that happened when I was so young and I've had a very long relationship with it, but you know, it's The ocean is the manifestation of the thing that drives us mad as human beings. It is completely beyond our control. It is overwhelming. It is unpredictable. And it is the most powerful force on the planet. And in so many ways, it mirrors our potential. And, and our deepest fear. Our deepest fear and our greatest sense of possibility. The ocean is the full manifestation of that spectrum. And to be completely frank, that's why I bring people to it. That's one of the reasons. There are many reasons, but that's one. It is the perfect environment to help somebody learn how to trust themselves beyond having control. That's very much the nexus of my work is is really looking at our illusory sense of control that we have over our lives. And at the end of the day, we only have control over our behavior. That's it. Our our reactions. Yeah, our reactions yeah. and our our choices. We have we have control over our choices. To, to, to a great extent, and then we have control over how we choose to act towards ourselves, towards each other, and most importantly, in my opinion, towards the planet. And um, that's, that is probably the biggest reason I started doing this work was because I cared about I cared about nature more than anything. I cared about animals, I cared about cleanliness, I cared about water and um, you know, I worked in ocean advocacy for many years. I worked in um, the surf industry for a long time. And I realized that for me, the quickest way to make impact was to help people have an emotional experience to that particular environment. Because until somebody feels differently about something, they're not going to change. And the first barrier is usually how somebody isn't connected to themselves. And if they're not connected to their own sense of value, their own sense of existence, why the fuck would they care about anything else? And we don't, we're starting to now talk about that in our culture, um, you know, in some ways in an imbalanced sense. But I think that it's really, we live at a, at a pivotal moment. Um, we live at a pivotal moment, and in order to shift behavior of the collective, people really have to 
begin to understand how to feel their their heart, how to understand how to live um, in a state of trust so that we can engage with one another, so that we can open up to even to hear, to listen, to move collectively. Um, and with 8 billion people on the planet, that's a tall order. But it's a really... Um, it's a really important skill set that we need to have as human beings. We have to understand our emotions, our feelings, and learn how to be with them differently. talked before admittedly about my own challenges with the natural world in that when you connect in it can be quite disorienting because you can't hold on to all of the identities and narratives that you've created for yourself because nature doesn't care (laughs) first of all nature doesn't care and second of all it it almost Um, is a catalyst for those narratives and identities to dissolve. Mm. And that can be disorienting for people, but if you can feel into that, then that opens up a possibility for transformation in so many ways. Um, And ultimately, the the felt understanding of our interconnectedness. Yeah. And our oneness with each other and then obviously with nature. I want to talk. Can I I say one more thing? Yes, please. I just want to say something really important because it's something that I've only learned recently. And I think that everyone can relate to this idea that we all create what we need. Sifari is a practice that I needed because I wasn't connected to my sense of feeling. The ocean was the only place in my life where I was able to relax and 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 feel and feel to in a in a actually a pretty surface way. I grew up um, and have lived as a you know adult woman for years thinking that I had a sense of emotional intelligence because I could articulate my feelings, but in no way did I understand or know how to feel them. And it's like, you don't know what you don't know. I didn't know I was numb. I thought I was fully alive, but there's oh, there's a sense of like, there's something missing. Like this all looks really wonderful and beautiful, but like, I don't feel it. And that is what I begun Sifari with, was a seeking of feeling deeply and having the skills, having the courage, and having the sensibility to to really um, live differently and live live within myself and live within the planet rather than on it. You know, I want to. I want to understand how to live within nature and within my own nature, and that is the full spectrum of my behavior and of my experiences. 
And, um, and I think that I wish somebody had told me that sooner, that there was a, a massive disparity between understanding how to talk about your feelings and then understanding how to allow your feelings, how to give your physical body permission to reconnect and release things that are stuck and blocked and heavy and dense and old. They're really old. Um, and, and, you know, back to the water, water is the softest thing and yet it penetrates mountains. I didn't say that. A really, really, really wise (laughs) Chinese philosopher said that, uh, named Lao Tzu. But, um, yeah, I mean, water helps us to transform everything. And if you think about it, just from a from a physical perspective, water has three main states it can exist in, right? Solid, liquid, gas. And it's no different in our bodies. Our emotions can be solid and blocked and calcified within our physical system. And this is where we tend to hold stress or tension in our body. And there's ways to work with that. There's ways to move that, to feel that, to embrace that. And um, so much of, of what I'm exploring in my own journey as a, as a woman in the world is, has been about that and also in servicing others in that way. I mean, that... That resonates with me so much. I know we've talked about it as well. Um, to speak to the part about, I mean, I guess I would just simply call it like intellectualizing your emotions. Yeah. Um, I think we we do that, you know, when we, we don't realize that we're doing that because it's a way, it's a protective mechanism for, for our bodies. Um and like you, I was also very dissociated from and not in touch with my body at all. <laughs> Couldn't feel anything. And then the more I dropped in and the more I allowed, as you said, my emotions to express themselves inside of me, the more my body started to talk. And it can be a frightening experience sometimes. Because it's unfamiliar, and you don't know. It can be overwhelming. It can be a lot. Um, and I think it takes a lot of courage to lean in. And so, some. I, I mean, I have so many questions. Oh my god, where do I begin? <laughs> well, I think I want to talk about how you started this practice and and your own journey. But one last thing before we get into that is what have you, I guess I'm curious about what types of people and and what are they hoping to, I don't want to say the word achieve, but what are they hoping to experience with Sifari when they come to you? Like who's coming to you and and are they coming to you for for thinking that they're going to have one experience and then maybe having a different experience or... Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to hear more about that. You know, I believe that 
my clients, clients, that's not even the right word to call them. Um, journey, journeyman, <laughs> my, the, like my fellow explorers, yeah. you know, like we, uh, we explore together and I, every single person I meet, I get to meet myself in them, which is really, really amazing because every single person that actually pays me to take them on this really beautiful experience is here to teach me something. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're sharing, um, sometimes their darkest secrets, sometimes their, their greatest, uh, their greatest achievements. What are they looking for? They're looking for a deeper sense of connection. They're curious. They're looking for, um, insight and clarity. A lot of times people feel, I I meet a lot of people, entrepreneurs, creators, uh, I love working with musicians who, uh, I'll tell you about that in a second. Yeah, no, I love working with musicians. Um, I think they're, they're gatekeepers in many ways, but, um, the, there's people seeking a sense of, of ease, of clarity, of trust and trust faith and without being overly spiritual or in any way religious it's ultimately faith in themselves that it's all going to be okay um and you know it's it's not even okay it's better than okay and i think that that's the most amazing thing about nature it has this impeccable ability to continuously surprise us and um Are they looking for, are they looking for, I mean, I think, I just think about myself and in many ways I'm, well, I'm so excited to go on a safari because I feel like I'm a perfect candidate for this because I've been on this journey of integration. I mean, I think what I would be looking for is the felt experience of being able to to drop into my body and let the energy, whether it's coming from an emotional place or, I mean, all energy is, I guess, probably has an emotional root. Um, I love the word emotion. It's, and sometimes I think about it with parentheses around the E, energy in motion, emotion. Yeah. Emotion is moving energy. energy. <laughs> <laughs> With a certain charge that holds a certain frequency. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would be to feel that energy inside of me and have a felt sense of safety in the process. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's what we're all looking for because if, if that's the case, then it doesn't need to be held and suppressed. I think it's held and suppressed because, I mean, for me, it's held and suppressed because I'm afraid if I feel it, it will be too much. Mm. And yet the ironic thing is, if you put your attention to it and feel it, that's when it starts to change. I mean, what we suppress and what we um, reject has the power over us. Yeah, what we resist persists. Yeah. Exactly. And so... And on top of that, doing so in an immersive nature experience really 
is transformative in the sense of being able to realize that above all else, nature can hold us. I think that for me has been really healing. Like if I'm, if I'm having a really difficult, difficult, difficult time, just the, un, the felt understanding that nature can support us. You can scream, you can cry, you can be in all of the difficult experiences that you're having inside of you, and nature is there. Yeah, it's, it's, I, love, I love that you're sharing this sense of um, embracing all that is. That was also very loud and clear in the shower this morning, is sharing the, 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 at the essence of water. When you imagine sinking into any body of water, it embraces all of you. And it is, if, if I can help somebody understand how to embrace the nature of themselves, there is no greater gift. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, mic drop. <laughs> we don't want to drop the mic, but mic drop. <laughs> I want to talk about your safari to safari. Okay, that was really cheesy, but no, I love it. it. Going with it, it. Um, and your journey to starting this practice. I guess I would start with your talk about your relationship to the ocean when you were growing up. Did it start at a very young age? My first memories. I love thinking about this. My first memories of the ocean were with my grandfather. And I was probably two or three years old. And I can remember getting woken up by him at the sun and going for a beach walk. And I was a little hoarder when I grew up. When I was a little kid, I loved to collect seashells and rocks. And it's funny, we're sitting in my little meditation hut and I've surrounded by rocks of sorts. Old, what is it? Old habits die hard. Mm -hmm. Is that what it is? Yeah. How appropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, my earliest memories were with my grandfather, uh, and I grew up on the Eastern shore of Maryland. And so we, we had a house in Bethany beach and, um, yeah, we it was the only time I actually also come from a quite a big family and it was the only time I remember that was just for me, that was just about me and it was um it really was sacred. It was time that uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> little motorcycle action yeah. there. Um yeah, it was it was sacred time. It was time when I could play, I could run, I could collect treasure. It was always actually that's a funny memory. It was always very much about finding treasure. I would go for hours and I did this my entire I've done this my entire life ever since I was a little girl, but I would walk the beach usually by myself for hours looking for the perfect sea treasure, whether that was a shell or a rock, or some piece of driftwood. There was always um, 
I was always in pursuit. <laughs> I was always on a very specific mission to find something. And then God do God knows what with it. But yes. Well, now it's, I mean, it's kind of come full circle because now you make these prayer, prayer stones that you, I mean, you should explain what they are. Uh, that's something I started doing only in the last couple months. Last, sometime around last summer, I would leave my sessions with clients and just as a way to decompress, I'd take a walk on the beach and you'd think that at some point I'd be beached out, but it never seems to happen. <laughs> so I, I'd go for a walk and I'd listen to a podcast or I'd just listen to music and, and sort of wind down from the experience. And I started collecting these really beautiful, colorful, soft stones and I would carry them around with me. They'd wait on my pockets. I'd like they'd go in the washing machine. My partner would think I was crazy and I would keep them in jars. And I did, the, I did this for about a year to a year and a half. And right around Christmas this year, I had some, um, I had some old like waxed yacht, yacht cord, like rope line in a craft box in our garage. As you do. As you do. (laughs) I have a ton of craft supplies, (laughs) but I never know what to do with it. And so I was just kind of looking at the stones and looking at the cord. And finally, I just started kind of playing with it and wrapping the stones. Um, And I would wrap them together. And it was so relaxing to me, um, just holding these rocks. And for the longest time, I've wanted to just have something that I have in the world with me that I'm just giving to people as an offering. Um, and uh, so these these stones started serving that purpose. I would wrap them together, and you know, I love the idea that they take thousands and thousands of years to become as soft as they are. And to me, they're they're reminders of time. They're uh, symbols of patience and, um, you know, they're just, they're meant to be, they're meant to be anchors. I think that in so many ways, um, it's very easy to get swept up and lost in the current of the way that we live. And to me, stones and the heaviness of them just just serve as a really little subtle reminder to just slow down and um, l- like land, like ground, yeah. like feel your. I mean, they're incredibly grounding. <laughs> they're incredibly grounding, and again, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a tangible reminder of all of the things that you mentioned. Yeah, I think it's just I love. You know, it's it's funny. I don't know if anybody has ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, but one of my love languages uh-huh. <laughs> is receiving gifts. Uh-huh. And so naturally, I love, I, I never like to receive gifts in front of people, but I love receiving gifts. To me, that's indicative that somebody thought about me beyond that instant moment that we were together. And it's the most um, beautiful sentiment. And it doesn't need to be anything materialistic. It's just a a symbol of love. And um, so these stones, I started making them and as a practice, just giving them away. I love gifting people with something that was, that costed me nothing other than 
my attention and it was, um, attention that I really enjoyed giving something. I love finding things. I love making things and then I love sharing things. I mean, I, I feel like I'm going to make a testimonial for these. <laughs> you, ritual, you already, you're selling my stones. stones. They're not for sale. <laughs> but, um, I mean the prayer, the prayer stones, but I mean, it's such a, but it's such a beautiful gift because if you think about it, they're one of a kind. I mean, that's, that's beautiful in itself. It's not like you could go buy it at the store and it's, there are stones that you found, but maybe you could also say that they found you. And then, you know, I love the way that when I got my stone, um, it was sort of offered as, you know, pick the one that resonates with you the most. And it just feels really special and really she personal. She got a really good one, by the way. <laughs> she got one of the ones. I have it this. It resonated. <laughs> yeah, totally. I have this um, I have this bowl, this beautiful ceramic bowl that holds the stones that I keep for myself, self, selfishly. And at the time, she had just come over. We had just connected and had a beautiful dinner together. And I was just so excited to meet her. And so, you know, I grabbed the bowl and I was like, oh, I didn't pull out the ones that I really love. And the one that she ended up loving, it was perfect, actually. And it's, it it actually, I want to say something about that. She, She was really attracted to the one that I had, I was kind of holding on to. And when the minute she had it, I was like, oh my God, yes, this is perfect. And ever since I've been, I don't want to say like, and this is in no way trying to put myself on a pedestal, but the most beautiful and surprising thing happens when I've given away the ones that I love the most. Um, first of all, two weeks later, or even a day later, I don't even understand, I don't even realize that they're gone it's and it and but then when I think about it it's like oh beautiful like she that sits on her windowsill every night and is just this reminder of our friendship but it's been the most beautiful uh lesson of giving the things away that we love the most and then how that returns in kind it's it's immeasurable and um it's just such a nice testament to creating something art for example like this i would look at as oh this is you know part of my creative practice and then it you know gets to be this thing out there that lives in the world like this podcast and you never know where they end up and you never know who's going to find it and it's 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 so exciting and that feeds me so much more than an, an object a, a thing of materiality um, and that's not the case in all things. I like nice things, and, <laughs> you know, I consume like everyone else, but it's just, uh, it was a beautiful surprise in that, wow, I can still share the things that mean the most to me and I am not lesser or I am not in any way scarce having let them go. I think that's the crux of, uh, humanity. I would, I would say really, I, I think the reason why, we discriminate or judge other people is because we have a scarcity mindset. We think that there's not enough for everyone. And also from an energetic perspective, it's so beautiful to think like you had certain stones that energetically you felt connected to. And then someone else who came into your life also did. It's like that shared, it's like a shared felt sense of connection. Yeah. It's a bond. 
We're yeah. bonded with our with our little meditation stones. Stones I love unite. It. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I want to. I really want to get into your journey to Sifari from from the beach with your grandfather to now. Um, can you touch on, you know, what that looked like working in the surfing industry? Um, I think you were a surfer. I still surf. Stur- surfing is surfing. Surfing is a really big part of my life. But um, the surf industry, I think, you know, I was in the fashion surf industry and um, I was working crazy hours. I loved the work that I was doing. I loved many aspects of it, but I was overworked. I was in really, um, I was in a pretty strong sense of imbalance in many areas of my life. My, my intimate relationship, my sense of, of home and foundation. When was this? This was, um, what year is it? This was about five years ago. Can yeah. you talk about what exactly you were doing? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was assisting a founder of a surf lifestyle brand who I was also in a partnership with, and we had worked together for many years. And um, we we lived together, we worked together, and uh, we were in a intimate relationship. Um, and you know, when one is setting themselves up in that way without certain skills to navigate conflict and challenge, and if there isn't a foundational sense of, of where both individuals are connected to their inherent value, I was, I, I was very disconnected from my sense of value at the time. And so that led to a lot of imbalances in my life. And that would be balances with my home and my family, balances with my friendships, um, imbalances, sorry, and imbalances at work. And so when we decided to go our separate ways, my job, my home, my partnership all dissolved in front of me. How old were you when this happened? Was it during your Saturn return? I was 29. Perfect time. (laughs) No, it's always right on the money. (laughs) Right on the money. Um, What's your sign? I'm a Pisces. I'm the first. I'm a zero degrees Pisces. Um. And yes, this was right in the middle of my Saturn return. If if you all out there understand the language of astrology, it's uh, a time or a period where you go through um, the complete disillusionment of your identity. And so you, whatever you knew to be true about yourself usually radically transforms. And that was very true in my case. Um, I, on that day when everything, when the bottom fell out, I went to, I enrolled at, um, at an institute. I was actually sent there by a wonderful human being. And, um, I was sent to something called the Hoffman process. They, they didn't send me, they encouraged me and I knew nothing about it, um, 
And to this day, it is absolutely one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. And the Hoffman Institute is a personal development program. Um, and it's, uh, it's, a it's a week long immersion where you are completely cut off from everyone and everything. You go through it with a group of between 30 to 40 people and, um, you essentially, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. I used to have the perfect one-liner to talk about the Hoffman process, but the Hoffman process is essentially a week-long immersion where you learn to reprogram and repattern your mind, body, and spirit from all of your traumatic childhood experiences. And so it gives you an incredible foundation of self-awareness, a beautiful community of wonderful people who are living very heart-centered lives, and it gives you amazing tools to continue your continue onwards of your path of of personal growth. Um, so I I went through this experience and I had uh, many many life changing moments in it, and I was introduced to a tool that I practice often, um, a form of meditation called visualization, and you know. I think I always had this misconception that meditation was when you were sitting and you were able to achieve stillness with yourself or you were attuned to your breath or you were having a moment of Zen, whatever the hell that means. Um, and to me, there's about 8 billion people on the planet. That's how many ways there are to meditate. There are certain tools that I think are very helpful as as practices of um, introspection and visualization is one of them. And for me, I have a very vivid imagination. And so visualization was an incredibly powerful tool for me to enter myself and really for the first time connect. Not, not even, I wouldn't even call it reconnect. I would say this was my first understanding of, uh, self connection. And, um, it was a rebirth in, in many ways. And after I got out of that experience, I went on a, about a three month sabbatical and I went back to Africa. I've been going to Africa since I was about 18. Um, it's always been, home for me, even though I have no ties to that place. I have many now, but they were Where all... in Africa? At that trip in particular, I was headed to uh, South Africa and then Zambia and Botswana um, and then Morocco. But that and was... what were you doing when you were growing up and going? What? Why were you going? Was it part of a, a volunteer group or... The first time I went was part of a senior project where the last two weeks of my high school, you got to design a curriculum for yourself and a project that you would present your class. And so I had just seen the movie Endless Summer. I had spent a lifetime worshiping elephants, and I wanted to go surf at this very specific place in South Africa called Jeffreys Bay, which is one of the most famous waves in the world. And at the time, I'd only been surfing a couple years. I had no business <laughs> surfing that wave, but I did it anyway. Um, 
And I convinced my parents to to send me. And I went for two weeks. And I went on my first surf safari. I went surfing at that spot. And I went to see animals in the wild. And it was a pivotal moment for me. Um, the minute I stepped off the plane in South Africa, I knew I was home. And home in a way that I'd never felt in any other place or time in my life. And it was a it was a felt sense of home. I remember I got goosebumps, I started tearing up, and I got really hot, and I had no idea what was happening. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I feel that way every time I step onto that land. And um, it's just, I think that there are certain places on the planet where we really come alive, and South Africa is very much that space for me, one of those spaces for me. Dissolved your life in a way. <laughs> Completely. Let's get back to let's get back to when you blew up your. I call it. I I call it when they happened to me. Like I kind of blew up my life, which kind of feels fun. Yeah, I mean, in this case, somebody else. I would say very much blew up my life. It was they, they called all the things off, but it was very much a mutual decision. Your life was canceled. <laughs> my life was canceled, like a show. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and. You went to Africa. You went to the Hoffman process. Then you went to Africa. Went to the Hoffman process, went to South Africa, and then spent the next three months really um, reflecting and uh, asking myself what it was that felt meaningful that I could do um, in service to the things that I care about. And uh, I came back from that trip, and I decided I was going to launch Sifari, and it begun as a brand. I opened a store, um, and it's it was meant to be this really wonderful community outpost. It was called Sifari Outpost. It was I had it for a couple years, and um, the whole idea was designing a space that was nature-inspired, very much attuning to the philosophy of biophilia and how that might stimulate connection and creativity. And through that space, people would then find find out about my services as somebody who guides people into their creative expression and, and using a very unique process to do that. So the first iteration of Sifari was a store. It was a community platform. And then... I would say a couple months into having the store, um, I begun launching my Sifari sessions, um, these rebirth water experiences that were adventures into one's creativity. Um, and I did that for a couple years. Um, 
I had I had the store for about two and a half years, and then I closed the shop to really focus on developing a curriculum, refining my methodologies, exploring the history of my technique. Because at the end of the day, water healing, which is what I think best explains what it is that I do, um, it's been around for, for thousands of years. It's present in every culture. It's present in every religion. Um, in Christianity, it's called baptism. In Judaism, it's called mikvah. In Hinduism, they bathe in the Ganges. In it's uh, a cleansing. Yeah, I mean, in Ayurveda, absolutely. When you were talking about drinking warm water, it's the best way to cleanse the internal organs of your body. Yeah, it's, it removes toxins. So you could use that as a metaphor. You know, it removes toxins physically from your body, but they yeah. can also remove toxic thoughts and toxic yeah. energy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, water has the has the ability to transmute or transform anything because that is its nature, right? That's its power. And um, so for I yeah, that's that's sort of how it evolved, but the experience of healing through water comes from a much <laughs> darker place in my own history. In 2008, no, not 2008, in 2011, sorry, 2011, where does time go? My first week on this this job that eventually canceled my life, I was building a store in, uh, in Manhattan Beach, and we, it was July 3rd, which was, it was, you know, the middle of summer, the weather was beautiful. We were supposed to be working like into the night um, to get this store done for a deadline. And we thought we'd all go down to the beach. We were just, we were having like a little, a little break before we went into kind of a night session of work. And um, all of the girls ran, uh, ran and jumped in the ocean. And, um, one of the young ladies, I, I was thinking to myself that I wouldn't go I wouldn't go in that night, which is very unlike me, but I mm. didn't have a full bathing suit on. I just had a bikini top on and I had jean cutoffs on and I didn't have bottoms. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to get in. I don't want to work the rest of the night in wet jean cutoff shorts. And one of my coworkers, she looked at me and she said, you know what, Joby, you only live once. And I said, you know what, Ash, you're right. And I threw off my shirt, ran at like 60 miles an hour, head first into the ocean, dove into a sandbar, and then nothing. Um, and when I say nothing, uh, right before sort of the lights went out, it was like, I don't know if anyone's ever been zapped by an electrical outlet, but... Um, the sensation I experienced when my head hit the floor of the ocean was that times one million. It was like everything in my body was electric and my head smashed against a sandbar um, and then I blacked out. I have no idea how I turned over. Nobody was around me and nobody... Where, where did they go? All the they were like... They were about a hundred yards out, like kind of where the wave oh, beyond where the I waves see. were crashing. I, and they didn't see you. They didn't see me. <gasps> no. Oh my god. So I was floating there and I couldn't feel anything below my neck. And 
I came to, I don't know how long it had been before I came to, but somehow I was flipped over and I couldn't, I was winded. I couldn't speak, couldn't really breathe that well. And um, the water kept like going, lapping over me and, and going in my mouth. And it was obviously, I was in the shore break. Very dangerous place to just be floating without your sense of dexterity. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was, um, where I intimately learned about the power and the force of the ocean. Um, on July 3rd, that was the day that I broke my neck. And in that incident, I essentially... I was paralyzed for about 10 to 15 minutes, I think. Um, and I make the joke that <laughs> Quentin Tarantino saved my life because one of my favorite movies was Kill Bill. And I, I remember a scene in that movie where Uma Thurman's laying in the back of the car and she's telling her limbs over and over and over to move. She's kind of willing herself out of out of a... Uh, a coma or out of atrophy. She had been in a coma for years and her limbs weren't functioning. And she sat there and repeated that message over and over again. And finally they became mobile. And so I did that. I laid in the ocean and I told myself to get up over and over and over again. And finally I was able to stand and I stood up really slowly and I couldn't hold my head up. My neck was like cocked to the right hand mm -hmm. side and my my um the f my fingertips were f essentially like surging electricity i that's the only way i know how to describe it was it was like pins and needles running through my whole system mm -hmm. but it would it congregated very much in my hands in my right hand and i went up to the lifeguard i told her what had happened um got rushed to the hospital and spent the next five days in the ICU, had surgery. Um, what did, what was the diagnosis? So you have seven vertebrae in your neck. I crushed number five. So out of those seven different, uh, brain, one of mine is now missing. So I have inside my neck, I have a cervical fusion, which means I have a cage connecting my fourth vertebrae to my sixth. And it's steel. So ironically, my neck's stronger now than it was before I broke it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm missing one of the vertebrae in my neck, essentially. Did that, did that shift your relationship with... <clears throat> the ocean for some time I don't know I can imagine being angry or just sort of like feeling like you know the place that I always would go to feel safe had somehow betrayed me or you know I've never been asked that um ah uh, did I feel betrayed I think 
even to this day, even talking about it, I think it still shocks me that that happened. Um, I don't feel fully, I don't feel fully healed from this experience. I don't feel like I've fully integrated the magnitude of it. Um, and, and that's my, that's my work, right? Like this to me was very much, uh, a rite of passage and the ocean, um, the ocean's always been home. And even though it has been radical and intense in many ways, it's still home. And, and that's not dissimilar from my actual home and where I come from. So it's... Uh, <laughs> what did that experience teach you Which about yourself? Um, that I can no longer use force to move forward in my life. I was going to say how strong I am, but at the end of the day, it actually, it broke down my strength. It was where my strength was not enough anymore. Or not, it's not even not enough. It's, uh, that approach and, and so much of actually what I've prided myself on my whole life, um, really broke that day. And I became introduced to a new way of living. My will was broken, literally. Um, and I think that in so many ways, my will helped me survive up until this point in my life. And I still, you know, enact it in many different ways, but but the goal is always actually to be in a state of of release and of surrender many times to my discomfort <laughs> most time yeah. to my discomfort yeah it's almost like an opportunity to soften for yourself yeah i i couldn't say it better it was the beginning of my softening and that was um that was nine years ago. No, it'll be nine years this summer. That was eight years ago. I only ask that. I mean, I ask that because I think my philosophy is that the universe is always trying to wake us up to return to our most authentic selves, mm. which are full of compassion for ourselves and for others and for the planet and so, you know, it's interesting. I had, I mean, I broke my pelvis and went in kind of a freak accident as well. And it was a really painful experience for me and I resisted it and I suffered through it. You know, in some ways I, it was a really, I, I probably wasn't as graceful as I could have been <laughs> throughout the process. Of course. But, you know, but in, but in many ways that's the that was, was why it happened mm. because I needed, I needed it to happen. And through it, I began to learn the lesson that I continue to practice of compassion for myself because 
it was it was an incredibly humbling experience. And I guess, yeah, it just reminds me of one of my favorite spiritual teachers is Tara Brock. And she talks about rain, the practice of rain. And hopefully I'm getting this right, but it's recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. And it's this idea of in any situation, you can pause, recognize what's happening in your body, investigate, you know, where is it? Is it tension in your stomach? Is it, where's the resistance? You say it again, rest, uh, Say yes. Yeah, yeah recognize. Okay. Investigate. Hopefully, I'm getting this right. No, my I think God, it's, I think it's beautiful. I what? might not. I might be butchering it a little bit. I always forget one of them. But investigate. Um, no, recognize. Rain. Recognize. Allow. So you allow the experience, whatever feeling, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Investigate. Like what's behind it? Mm-hmm. What's really? What's really the? driving force is it fear is it lack of connection is it you know where is it coming from and then nurture Mm. i love the the um the acronym aspect of it it makes those sorts of things so easy to be recalled for us (laughs) so no well yeah i mean i think we got it there you had it right the first time and then i grilled you on it but um no i think that's such a beautiful uh I mean, that's the whole practice right there. You just outlined it. Um, if if we can all become rain, embrace those principles, goals. Yeah, and also it's a wa- it's water. It's, it's, there you go, water, you water, go. water. I love it. It's perfect. It's when I had a store. When I had the store, um, the store was a compendium of so many different found objects and cultural artifacts, and uh, it was an opportunity for me to get to celebrate my friends who were artists and also an excuse to to hoard the things that I would come across again treasure um but one day this woman brought in these beautiful hairpins that she had carved out of different types of wood and they were wabi-sabi in the sense that they weren't perfect they you could see the carve marks and I remember when she handed me one I saw the hairpin as a piece of wood and I saw her hand and this wasn't happening in this moment, but I, I just, I closed my eyes for a second and I like saw her hand as carving with a knife and with each layer, she carved it into this object. But for that stick and that tree, a knife was digging into it at every stroke and you know, all in that one moment, it's like I saw something as a tree and then I saw it as a branch and then I saw it as a stick and then I saw it as this thing that was being whittled by the hands of a human in this beautiful process of sculpture, but probably really fucking painful for that tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was such a a moment of, oh, wow, that's the nature of life is we go through layer after layer of removal and each layer that we carve throughout our life and throughout our path is you know this stroke of magnificence but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a soft experience that doesn't mean that it's necessarily 
um, a comfortable experience in any way. And but it is beautiful. Um, and I just sometimes I always I always think back to that. It's a funny thing to think about the hairpin, but it was just such a imprinted moment of oh wow, that's the nature of our experience. That's the nature of change and of blossoming and unfolding. Um, it reminds me of something. I don't know if I've mentioned it on this podcast before, so forgive me if I have, but it's always worth a repetition. Um, Or it's always worth repeating. And it's something my therapist talked to me about, and it's this idea of if you visualize someone taking a hammer, for example and striking a rock or something that's really hard. It might crack. And then if you think about striking the sand, it's going to make an an indent, but it's going to be a little bit softer. It's not really going to leave a crack. And then if you think about taking a hammer and striking the water, Mm. it leaves no mark. Mm. And the idea of who are you going to be? Are you going to be like the rock? And every time something happens in your life, it's going to leave a crack for you. Or are you going to be like the water Mm. and let the hammer just kind of... Move through you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to move on to the the final section of our conversation for today. And that is a rapid fire round. Oh my God. Rapid Maybe fire. I should call it <laughs> rapid water or, <laughs> or current, like rapid current section. I, I like all the elements. I'm, I'm most, most friendly with water, but fire's pretty good too. It's balancing. So yeah, there we go. There you um, go. Rapid fire round. Okay. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Let's do it. You might be familiar with these questions, but you've never been asked them. I purposely took some space from the podcast, so I wasn't. So I approached this from like a very clean state. Perfect. Yeah. What is your favorite place in nature? You know, it's something that really surprised me. Um, it was this hot spring that I went to on my birthday, which I don't have, uh, I mean, I I look like, you know, I love all water environments, but, um, I haven't spent a lot of time in hot springs. I like the cold water more than the hot water. And this place was, um, hidden in the forest and it was so unexpected. The water was this ice-colored blue from all of the minerals. And I had this experience pretty recently um, where we were shared some information about some secret hot springs north of Los Angeles. And it's not the ones in Ojai, for everyone listening. It's other ones. Um and we found them on my birthday a couple weeks ago. And we happened to be accompanied by this young man who was also 
happened to be going that morning. And he was kind enough to show us exactly where they are because we never would have found them without his help. And um, he led us to the hot springs and then he was like, hang on one second, I'll be right back. And he goes away for about two minutes and he comes back and he crushes up fresh bay leaves and he puts them in the water. And the forest and the earth completely come alive in my nose and in my eyes and the minerals, the scent is so powerful that I just sunk into it. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the ocean and you'd think that that would be my favorite place on the planet. And in many ways it was, but this is, uh, I would say this is a new space that I'm exploring and it's a very different kind of peace. And so, yeah, this hot spring north of Los Angeles. The location location yes. not to be disclosed. <laughs> <laughs> what is the I mean, I'm gonna find out. Yeah. Find out. But well, we're gonna go yeah. before you leave. <laughs> what is the animal, mineral, or plant that resonates with you the most? Mm, an elephant. And I I love them. I've loved them my whole life. I love... I First of all, I think they're incredibly cute. But beyond that, they're these immensely powerful creatures that are so gentle and led by a matriarch. And they remember. They're some of the smartest animals on the planet and also the most compassionate and I just, yeah, elephants, elephants for sure. What is one thing we can do right now to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony into our lives? Stop what you're doing. Go outside, take your shoes off, and find some grass and sit down. And that sounds like... I don't know where everybody is when they're listening to this. Um, and there's many ways to be touched and touch nature. But to me, there are few things more stabilizing than just feeling the grass. What is the greatest lesson nature has taught you? I mean, the first thing that popped into my head was be brave. You need it. <laughs> Complete this sentence. Nature brings me peace. Home. Love. Joy. Everything. Nature brings me everything. It's the best. <laughs> it really Perfect is. Perfect way to end nature. <laughs> the end nature is the best. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you so much, Jovi. This was oh, an awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And uh, be well, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end of my conversation with Joby Manson of Sifari. 
I hope you found the episode inspiring and enlightening. If you know someone who would appreciate hearing it, please share it with them. In times like these, uplifting content is a powerful tool for collective healing. Stay safe, stay well, stay home, and I'll be back in two weeks with another Our Nature episode. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.